hope you'll really like Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USA with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean right? about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the, okay. Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Sports. We start March. Yeah. And yes. And yes. Your host, our very own Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. Reading whatever is on the prompter. Defense is Sua Adori Chalk by the end of the not, year, not by the way. Chalk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said, I'll, I'll just read whatever it says, baby. I know. Right. Chris Morales. It's a touchdown. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? That's really a good one. Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. Welcome to another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm your host, Chris Swanson. I'm here with our wonderful beat writer and senior editor. I think that's your title on our website, Adam J. Maya. Adam, how are you today? I'm really good now that I'm a senior editor. Did I just I'm only, promote I'm only you? an editor. Yeah. I might have promoted you. More money. Oh, I might have to demote you. Okay. Um, looking... Going right on, I guess, after I have to uh, give out of my more money, which I don't want to do. Uh, I want to mention uh, all of your great coverage, Adam, and that you do deserve more money, actually. I just can't pay it to you. Uh, Adam's been doing a lot uh, for spring football, which has just started. Big deal, obviously. Uh, if you check out our spring football central on the site, you'll see all of Adam's great work and uh, some great work from a few other uh, team members on our site. And also the 17 for 17 series, which is really kind of expanded from 17 different players i just have to bring that up because i <laughs> love that fact so much but uh really a a nice kind of preview into you know going into spring after the first week of spring you know there's still a lot obviously it happened they barely put on pads or whatever so uh check out what adam is doing uh on the site i just have to mention that i'm gonna plug myself a little bit uh you know a bunch of recruiting news on our site uh, big deal as well. I, I have a lot of great updates uh, from some guys whose names I can't pronounce, but a lot of uh, Rivals 250 guys. Uh, Rivals 100 quarterback Isaac Taylor Stewart. Uh, a couple. I had. I got updates from a couple of Guardian Sarah guys recently. Uh, Kobe Smith and Brian Addison. Uh, a couple different pieces where I, I list recruits to watch. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Even uh, a little scoop on Rivals 100 defensive end Greg Emerson. Might be somebody to watch going forward that I think a lot of people, uh, you know, don't really know that guy's name, but he's somebody to watch going forward. So I just want to plug that really fast before we get into the show, because Adam, as you know, I'm always trying to make money. What about the roadmap? Well, I mentioned that as, as one of my, uh, my you know, recruiting lists to look at. But yeah, I like that piece. Uh, the USC 2018 signing class roadmap is what Adam was talking about. Uh I basically listed the prospects that I believe USC that the USC's offered that I think they're currently signed to, or favored to sign in the 2018 class. Obviously, a long way to go. 
but uh, I think that's a fun piece to look at, give you guys a little bit of direction and, you know, an idea of where to look a little bit. So I'm glad you brought that up. I, I'm guessing that was a favorite of yours. No, but I think you should plug it anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, welcome to our show then. Um, a lot of stuff going on this week. We did questions, which I think was a good week to do it, you know, after the first few days of spring football, you know, a lot to cover. And I think the best way to do it is to, to have our users ask us what's going on. So we'll get to your questions in a little bit. But uh, Adam, I want to touch on something first because surprisingly, uh, we didn't get asked a question about the basketball team, but it's a big deal right now. It's a lot of comments on our message boards about USC basketball. Uh, and about you. And about me. <laughs> because apparently I'm awful or something. But, uh, yeah, what, what do you think of what's going on? USC, obviously, they're in the tournament. Uh, they had their play-in game. Uh, dramatic comeback victory to Providence. Down by 17 points, I believe. Uh, rallied back to win. Team that beat them last year in the play-in game in the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, that's a big positive. Providence is a good team. Uh, Adam, what do you what, what do you kind of take away from uh, USC's play-in game, and I guess the whole process leading up to getting into the tournament? It wasn't as much of a block, I think, as a lot of people thought. And then all of a sudden, you know what I mean? USC had this tough road and they have to play Providence, and they rallied and they won. So I want to get your thoughts. Okay, well, last year actually was not a play-in game. It was just the first round, but this year. They were in a playing game, even though they had 24 wins, which goes to show that they were a game away from not making the tournament. They were part of the Final Four. They were listed actually as second to last included in the entire field. And I think it's just, gosh, it it's hard to, to say that this is... Um, encouraging that they're barely getting in that they're in the playing game and this win is being celebrated like they've won the tournament so I, I think if you have no expectations or no emotional attachment which is what I'm feeling from the fan base then everything's a bonus at this point and it's something to enjoy and I, I don't blame people for, for taking that approach. But if you want this program to to be relevant, then there's still a lot more to see. I, I think we're surprised if they win. That's where they're at right now. Where when they get in a tournament, if they win a game, you're surprised. If they beat SMU, I'm surprised. I, I know there's been one prediction that they would get into the Sweet 16, which would require three wins because they had that playing round. I would be shocked. In fact, if uh, our buddy Nick from Cyprus is right and they get into the Sweet 16, I think you owe him a lifetime subscription to the website. I, I, he might get it. Adam, I'm glad that you... Wait, wait, but what happens if if they don't make it? What, then I, I had an idea for this. I think he should be forced to buy 
a uh, like a, either a shirt or a hat from LeVar Ball and have to wear it to like you know every home game that he attends every USC home game he attends like next that. year I like that idea what do you think I think it's a great yeah. idea I don't know if Nick will uh, go for that well those shirts are, <laughs> and hats are apparently you know upwards to 50 to 100 dollars so oh. <laughs> that's about that's about the cost of a year subscription I think it's fair. You're gonna you're gonna give him a lifetime subscription. Can we agree to this? We can. <laughs> I mean, Nick's not here. I, I'm surprised this is happening. Ah, Nick won't have a problem with that. Yeah, don't worry about Nick. Oh man. All right. Well, but I'm, I'm, I'm into but it. I, I know it's a bit. I I would be shocked if they were in the Sweet Sixteen. I'd be totally shocked, and I would. Uh, I I think I would owe. Coach Enfield and the program an apology if they were to make it that far. Um, I, I'm not surprised that they won their first round game. I thought it was probably a 50-50 game. But the fact that they came back from 17, you can look at that two different ways. There's that glass half full, glass half empty dynamic there. And because I've been waiting for them to take a step forward, I think I remain very skeptical that they come back from that, that far down. I don't think you should be trailing by that much to Providence. No. But Adam, I'm glad that you brought up him because I think that you're you're talking about one part of the man. It's, I think you're saying people don't have a connection to it, You know, they don't have expectations, so it's all a bonus. That's true. That might be a big part of the fan base too. But there are those fans that also feel like USC is, you know, kind of being overlooked. Uh, like the, you know, they they should have been in the tournament maybe more firmly. Uh, maybe they're getting disrespected nationally. They feel like USC is a top twenty-five team. And they don't have that ranking, and you know, they're waiting for USC to make a statement. And they're listening to this and pulling their hair out. But I'm with you. Uh, I think that a lot of the fan base has you know, kind of the expectations for USC basketball that, that you talked about. And honestly, that's the expectations that I have. I mean, I just eventually expect them to fizzle out. And lose. I think SMU will beat them. I know that they beat SMU earlier this year. I think it'll be a close game, but I think SMU. And if they do beat SMU, they'll just eventually get beat. You know, I mean, just the teams get tougher and tougher, and they have to play Power 5 conference teams uh, in the tournament that are really good. That's how I feel. Um, I think the staff's doing a good job. Uh, I think that Pac-12 play exposed the talent level of the team. I don't think they're as talented as people think. Uh, but, you know, I just, I don't have expectations either. So, I, I, I you know, I, I get that, that side of the fan base. And I think that if you want USC basketball to become relevant, uh, you know, good luck. Good luck waiting for that. It's, it's not a shot at program i think that they you know they've done <laughs> no not at all well i mean they <laughs> built the stadium they needed but let's let's be honest these things don't change uh the the blue bell blooded programs whatever you want to call them i don't know bell count blue bell yeah whatever uh they don't change isn't that an ice cream what blue bell blue bell it might be. yeah i don't know i'm just making i believe I, I believe i had it in texas i think there might be a cheese 
I don't know. Well, it's a Gary. It's a, it's a Gary organization, and they, yeah, it, they're a popular ice cream you know in the, Texas. You know those dairy college basketball programs don't change. Whatever, you know what I mean. The elite of the. Okay, elite. so USC is not a Bluebell basketball program. Okay, my my point is this: is people want them to be relevant, and if you look at college basketball, and it, and it goes for pretty much every sport, and like, if USC was to be relevant, what top three seed? That's because that's like top twelve. Is that fair? Is that a relevant team? Okay. Look at those. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Look. I think I think a perennial top twenty-five team is relevant. Okay. You have to remember, there's a few hundred programs. It's not like football. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Where, fair enough. Fair enough. I'll even go that far. Yeah. Because I don't think they can get there. Either. I'll even go that far. If you look at the top twenty-five in college basketball, and really, I just looked at the top seeds, like one through three or whatever. It's the same names every year. I think that people, they get, uh, they feel like USC can take a jump because there's less players in basketball, so they feel like if they get some, which they have before when they have genius coaching, and that's how USC would get there again, by the way, which is hard, you know, what? I've only been there a few times. Okay. So they feel like they can get a player and make a run, and they also see these other teams in the tournament that are maybe smaller teams that make runs because they upset teams or they're good programs that just win in the tournament. Um, they're going through smaller conferences. So my point is this, is that USC is not one of these teams in the big conference, you know, among the big conference teams that gets, that gets the talent, have the coaching, that's, that's a perennial top 25 team, and you don't break into doing that. If you look at the top teams in college basketball this year, who is it? It's the same teams that it always is. And the perennial top 25, I mean, the top 25, I know there's, there's changes, teams come and go or whatever else, but I mean, how many of those teams are pretty much the same every year? And you just move them around. 15 of them, 20 of them. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to break into that. There's a lot of really good basketball programs that haven't won national championships in a while and have kind of fallen down maybe a bit in those ranks. But they're still, like, they're a perennial top 25. I'm thinking of, like, an Indiana or something. You know what I mean? Like, like USC is not going to get to that level. They're not going to be on the cusp. But they're, they're, they're just going to have their moments, I and then they, for the most part, they're going to be USC basketball. And if they get a coach like Tim Floyd again, that will change. But the thing is, is that a coach like Tim Floyd doesn't come around very often. I mean, I really think that and, and USC really didn't reach the heights that I think everybody wanted them to reach. You know, they didn't, they didn't get as far, didn't continue. But Tim Floyd, to me, is, is a once-in-a-lifetime type college basketball coach where if they had kept him. Really? Once-in-a-lifetime? For a program like USC. No. What? Why can't they be like Florida? Because they have they have disadvantages there in the Florida. Time. Florida was irrelevant forever, and then they got good in the late '80s, and they had a couple years in the '90s, and then they won back-to-back titles a decade ago, and they've been consistently good. Why can't they be like Florida? Billy Donovan? Isn't that their coach? No, he, he's been gone. I know, and but... They were, they were good before him, too. They, they, have, they consistently hire good coaches. There's a commitment. There's less of a challenge. So, but USC can't? I, I think, too, that there's more of a challenge to move up in the Pac-12 than in the SEC. Because I think in the SEC, it's Kentucky and everybody else. I think in the Pac-12, you have two programs that are huge in a smaller space. 
Yeah. There's still money. Like, I mean, it comes down to money, and USC has it, and in SEC they have it. So while I think the Pac-12 is better than the SEC, it's not leaps and bounds better. It's comparable, and and Florida and USC, I think, should be comparable. They're not, but why can't USC be Florida? I really think this is this is a conversation that might go astray a little bit, but it's a regional thing. I mean, if I can say it, there's more room. What do you mean? There's more. Some of the best basketball in the world is played in LA. I agree with you. I agree with you. But there's there's twelve. There's there's you're talking about the rest of the country. Okay, Florida can go into Georgia. They can go into Tennessee. They can. It's not a large. Uh, space between those schools you know what i mean it's easier to travel from these schools back east to florida so basically not only are they recruiting florida easier but they have more room to recruit uh other states there's more bodies around just because everything's kind of close everything's sort of packed together that's kind of how i feel about it back east where i look out west and you have 12 teams uh you know uh west of colorado and two of them are elite basketball how much talent out west is going to be left over for USC? You know what I mean when, when they have to enough. Maybe I mean yeah. I I don't know that. Maybe I don't know that because I, I mean, know where that. did James Harden come from and where did Clay Thompson come from? No, I I'm with you. I'm just saying. these are two of the top fifteen best players in the world. I'm just and they came they came from Southern California. They came from USC's backyard. They did not go to UCLA. Or Arizona. But is USC going to get those guys? If, if those guys aren't going to They could have had both of them. They could have had either one of them. This is this is going back to Floyd era stuff. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, yeah this so, isn't Enfield. Well, when they... So when they had an amazing college basketball coach for the program that they are, they were in on those guys. They could get those guys. If they had kept him no, Floyd... They, they passed on them. But... But, I mean, that, that's just one instance. My point is, there are a lot of kids coming out of here, out of Southern California. Yeah. There's more than enough talent for USC to win with. Are they going to pick USC, though? That's the thing. Because there's two elite basketball programs, and then outside of that, there's the rest of the Pac-12, which is confident, and, confident, and then there's, you know, especially with the one-and-done kids, the top talent, why not go to Duke or Kentucky or wherever else you're going to be there for one semester? A lot of them don't. A lot, a lot of the best kids on this side of town do not end up in the uh, ACC. So what's wrong with USC then? They're not getting the horses. I know. That's why, right? I mean, but but they can get them. Like I don't think there's an excuse for not getting them. They they're just not getting them. But they should get them. I think if they had a great basketball. You know, like, you know, like they won't get. I think Andy Enfield's a very good coach with good staff. Uh, I just don't. I don't see them getting. You love that staff. <laughs> I just don't see them getting like a Shashevsky type or that kind of guy that can turn them into something that they've never been before and keep it going. I think they had it with Floyd and they screwed it up and they let it go because they tried. You know, they were dealing with the NCAA at the time and they tried yeah. to appease to them. Because, I mean, Tim Floyd turned down Arizona. 
to stay with USC. And I think, wow, you know, if, if, if they had a guy that was consistently winning like that, you know, that stayed 10 years and could consistently win, he could change their basketball program. But that's not – USC's not going to get that. You know, why would – Why can't they get that guy? Why would that guy go to USC? It's like the recruit. It's like there's so many other options out there for college basketball. You know what I mean? Like, like Tim Floyd did them a huge favor by not going to Arizona. I would have expected him to. I would have expected another coach to. You know what I mean? Like, it just – USC isn't that job that they're going to get that. Just That's just my opinion. But I think they're doing great. Uh, they are. I just don't think they're much in terms of basketball. Yeah, I don't get why they can't get the coaches and players that you speak of. Because they have a, it's like UCLA football. Why can't why can't UCLA? Football? They do. They they. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, we already said that they they're very similar. It's eerie how comparable they are. UCLA football and USC basketball. Yeah, and and, and this is. The, they're not the biggest. So you think that infield is on a level with Jim Mora? I I have a lot of respect for Jim Mora. I, I mean, he's a former NFL coach. I think yeah. he's a great coach. I think it's UCLA is the problem there. Uh, so I don't I don't know because I, I mean I think Enfield's a very good basketball coach. I think he's dealing with the kind of situation Jim Mora is. I don't know. I mean, if, I, if you told me who do you like more as a coach, I'd pick more just because he used to coach in the NFL. So, I, you know, if, if Andy Enfield used to be an NBA head coach, I you know, might pick him. But... Yeah. But it's a similar situation. Kevin, o- Kevin O'Neill was an NBA coach. I know. I really <laughs> like Kevin O'Neill. I don't think he should have gone fired. I can't, I can't believe he just said that publicly. I, I do not think Kevin O'Neill should have been fired by USC because I think that he was doing exactly what USC basketball does, especially after seven. Yeah. I I just find it very perplexing. It seems to be deep rooted. It seems to involve everyone. I mean, yeah, I we're reading a lot of the comments on our message board and it sounds like even the fans point the finger at themselves for what's going on here and their lack of support. And maybe the lack of support from the administration at the university. Maybe not enough money is being put into the program. I don't know. I just, I'm not going to get worked up over winning a playing game. No. I think USC is better than that. They should be. But, but they should be. And But then at the same time, it's a big deal for them because they don't win a lot of tournament games. And, the playing game is technically a tournament game. So they just won one. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get why people are excited. It's a big comeback. Providence is a good team. They're not a bad team. It's, it's technically the NCAA. I get it. I just think that it's a situation where if you're a USC football fan, it's basketball, you're, you're rooting for the UCLA football basketball because you have a situation where you're the second choice team in a big city your talent you know might be overrated I mean I I have to say I think of all the four star recruits that UCLA football gets and 
how USC fans treat those recruits. We didn't want them. They're not that good. What do you think USC's basketball means to UCLA? You know, if they get a four-star recruit, you think UCLA wanted that kid? Probably not. You know what I mean? So the talent yeah. feels a little yeah. great. It's hard to get a good coach there because second choice program in the city right like you have these well you feel like Steve Alford though I mean I don't even know that they have a better coach they might not and, and that's another thing about LA that is tough too is I think that it's a it's it might sometimes drive coaches away uh, because there's a lot of expectations usually unfairly because it seems like people just expect LA teams to win or whatever and you're not getting paid as much because you have to live in L.A., you know what I mean, in comparison. And people aren't as friendly to you as they might be in other college towns. You know, there, there's, there's, some, there's some issues there, I think. So, yeah, I, I just think that USC basketball has, is in a tough situation. I think that – and I think that the fans are right on, too, when they do look at themselves and blame themselves because that does play into it. You know, you're not going to get the big recruit when he sees that, if, you know, you're playing a game in front of 1,200 that big coach and I, I think of USC and all the fans support for the football program if USC didn't have a football team the basketball team would be because they would sell it out every night you know what I mean there'd be a lot of money going into it people would care it'd be like a big private school with a big time basketball team you can look at private schools big basketball teams all over the country and get it done so there isn't that you know that effort there either by the school or by the fans, you know, to, to help make it a better product than it is now. And it reminds me of UCLA football in that way, too. I just think there should be a pride with the program. And I guess I just don't see it there. Um, I, I didn't, as a student, it was very much a, a niche sport. And it's been like that for a long time. But I don't buy that they can't be better or that they shouldn't be better. So I'm, I'm willing to be patient through the process, but we're going on decades now. I, I don't see this program going anywhere at the current moment. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they make a run right now in this tournament. And it catapults them into relevancy. I, I don't think so. I, I, you know, I think I think you're right. I think that USC should be better. I think the problem is that it's USC. I think that if it was a private university in the exact same location in the Pac-12, we didn't have the football shadow over them. You know what I mean? If it was just a different private school with all this money and all this power in that conference, I feel like they would definitely go. I just think that there's these these challenges for USC basketball that have been created by the culture of you know the fans and, and the students and how much they care about it in comparison to their football team, which everybody you know has obviously made priority number one. It's it's hard to be a school that multiple sports that are I think sometimes especially in LA when you know fans stop caring about their shit there's just too much to do it's going to be tough for them but in terms of what USC has you know in terms of all the advantages
issues that they have, you're right, they should be better. I just think that, you know, if there's something that we can virtually accept, that it's really, you know, it, it, it's not a, an environment uh, that's going to allow for the kind of growth that that's going on. Yeah. I, so, I guess, are you able to accept this team for what it is then and just appreciate whatever they do accomplish? For me, I, it's because of my low expectations for USC basketball. I, I think they're, they're doing fine. I think it's, you know, good for them. I feel good for them. You know, they, they made the tournament officially in. Now they have a pretty record. They finished with a winning record in the Pac-12. There's reasons to be proud of that team if you don't have the expectations, like you know, for for USC football or UCLA. I get why those expectations exist for you, Adam, or you think that they should exist because it's USC. It's a great institution that you know does great in athletics and has won you know tons of national championships, not only in football but in all sports. I think they're one of they're one of the schools that have won the most national championships or the top, in the top ten or something like that. So they should win in everything. It's kind of the feeling. Yeah, basketball yeah. is one of their worst programs. Oh, without question. And it's the second biggest. Yeah. I think that's why I'm dissatisfied. Uh, on Wednesday evening, they won their 25th game of the year. And that came in a season where they were in the playing round. So they won the playing game to earn win 25. It's fake. Yeah, I mean, that record is just propped up by a really bad non-conference well, schedule. I mean, to, to put it in context, I think that last year's non-conference schedule was, was bad, but I, I had forgotten about the first round last year. I just assumed they were in the playing game because I know I think they went 9-9 and nine for the game, which they're even worse last year. So I, I just assumed they were in the playing round last year. Because their record wasn't as good as this year, you know, out of like overall. They were a nine seed. Yeah, so they there was. Yeah, they were they were a better team. Yeah, so there was more respect for their team last year, and last year's record was not that beautiful. And this year's record looks like the record of a national championship. You look at a team in the right. SEC; it's twenty-five and eight, or whatever, twenty-five and nine, whatever you want to call it. You know, um, that's a national title. Game. USC, I mean, ten and eight in, in conference tells you exactly what they are. I mean, they if they had scheduled a difficult uh, out of conference schedule, an out of conference schedule that matched what the Pac-12 is, because they went around five hundred in the Pac-12, you got to think, wow, these guys could have been seventeen and fifteen this year. Really, I mean, because ten and eight in conference is kind of you know what I mean. It's like you can be in that range, you could be that bad. You know what I mean? There's not there's not yeah. a big difference between this team and teams in the past that won 17 or 18 games. So it's it's the record bothers me because it's fake and you know it kind of creates fake excitement. But USC having a winning record in the Pac-12 to me is impressive, given where the program is. If if they had you know everything going for them, they should be. But they're not. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm looking it up right now. The non-conference schedule the year before, it wasn't that much different. They played Wichita State. They played Xavier. Um, they played Monmouth a couple times. The Pac-12 wasn't as top-heavy. Arizona, that was not a great Arizona team. It was a bad UCLA team. Oregon was not as good as they are this year. Utah was better. So, USC looked better in a sense because they beat UCLA three times. Where this year, it looks like there are three great teams in the Pac-12. And then USC was the only other one to even make the tournament. There were only four that made it. So... They're penalized because they didn't beat Oregon, they didn't beat Arizona, and they lost to UCLA two out of three times. They're really not much different than they were a year ago. Um, they actually were an eight seed, and Providence was the nine. So I thought that they should have been a lock to get in the tournament, but I guess it doesn't matter now because they're in. They've won the playing round, so this is where they would be had they not been in that that Final Four. And now they have a little bit of momentum because they won a game. I This just doesn't move me. <laughs> As someone who supported the program and grew up going to games and and wanting the best for USC... This doesn't mean anything. It shouldn't if those are your expectations because their record against good teams is not good. I get yeah. it. But luckily spring football is here and their football will be good. Right, Adam? Hey, they they do okay, well I know we're gonna move on, but they do have the most comeback wins by double digits in the entire country. It's a bad sign. That's it. It's bad and it's good. Like I guess it, it makes the team fun because they're they're winning these games, but it also speaks to a problem where you're you're not going to you're not going to go anywhere when you're doing that regularly. No, you're not going to make a deep run. I mean, they're just not built to do that. They're not built to win away from home. It's just so hard for them. And I think that's weird, too. Because Galen is pretty quiet a lot of the time. And relatively empty. And and they have a hard time playing on the road. A lot of people I talk, a lot of players I've talked to in both basketball and football, they relish going on the road because there's so much energy from the opposing fans and they're taking on everything and they, they just like that they're, they're not complacent you know it kind of wakes them up from the opening minute but this team has a hard time going away from home and that's what we saw in the first half versus Providence and that's what the NCAA tournament is so do you think that's coaching? I think it's I think it's talent. 
do. Kellen? I, I do. I, I don't think they're, they're that good. I don't. I think that you have to be a good team to win on the road, especially against other good teams. And when I think of their – You have to play good defense, which they often don't. And they, they – I mean, they had a, a awesome defensive second half, which is why the way that they came back was pretty surprising. But bad defense – Travels, let's say that, yeah. and that's what they've had a lot of the time. So, like, I mean, you can we can move on from the talent standpoint because watch this NCAA tournament. March Madness is in full effect now. USC has as much talent as quite a few of these teams. Teams that are going to make runs, that are going to get into the Sweet Sixteen and maybe beyond. I know that they don't have that first round guy and they obviously don't have that lottery pick, but they're pretty balanced. They they have guys. They they have a bench too. So while maybe they don't have the talent to win a title, I think they have a talent to get into the sweet sixteen. I don't know if they have the structure. I don't know if they play good enough defense. I think they're too streaky uh, uh, of a shooting team to make a run. So I, I just don't like the way that they're put together. I guess that's where I stand. Um, but I'm going to let it go because uh, I know other people are enjoying what they're doing and we probably have ruined their fun enough. They've uh, they've shown a lot of heart. They, they obviously um, care about where they're at right now. You know, I mean, we, we heard that they dedicated this win to one of the assistant sisters, uh, late sister who passed away a few years back. And uh, I appreciate the uh, the camaraderie and the connection on that basketball team. I do too. Bunch of good kids. You know, a bunch of good guys on the staff. So why not, you know, root for them if you're a USC fan. Just realistic about what they are. Well, you know, that's all. That's all we're trying. To do, so. Yeah. Yeah. Something more positive all right. now. Little, Maybe. Will spring football? Or we, Let's do it. Yeah, we're jumping right into questions, right? My format. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll uh. Let's jump right into questions. Then. You had one job, Chris. I had one job. I know, and I, I screwed it all up. Um, yeah, so the first one, though, comes from Conscious B, our good friend. Who, uh, actually, I'm looking at his messages to likes uh, ratio. That's really good. I feel better than mine. Uh, he asks, or she asks, I don't know, what is your opinion on USC's full national? I keep seeing them offer highly touted kids from all over the country, but those kids already have offers from every school east of Texas. By then, most will agree, that the bigger Eastern schools have already sunk their hooks in. Is USC too reliant on the West Coast? Um, I'll take this one because I'm the recruiting guy, right, Adam? You're going to sit on the sidelines for this one. Uh, I think USC has, has a great pull nationally. I think they do a great job getting kids uh, from all over the country. If you look at their class last year, a bunch of their kids came from outside of California. A few of them came from outside of coast uh i think that uh they're playing a game that that a lot of people don't understand and 
every school does it, uh, where they're since they're the big program in LA and out west, they're going to wait a little bit to evaluate some of the other kids out west that aren't the huge, you know, big time recruits. And uh, back east, they're offering, you know, everybody just to kind of get a feel for them, uh, you know, trying to get in it, I guess, with those kids. So I think that that kind of, uh, you know, comes across as, as USC trying to get, you know, all these kids away from schools, uh, you know, that, that have already offered back east. And I don't think that's the case. I think they're trying to stay in it and uh, possibly convince these kids to visit. And uh, I think that they recruit the West Coast well. I think, you know, they need their time to evaluate and they usually get the top talent at the end of the day. So I think they do it right. I don't think they're too reliant on the West Coast. I think they're actually, you know, willing to, to jump out and get kids back east. And I think they do it in a smart fashion. And I think that, you know, well, most kids, yeah, are probably going to stay close to home. USC does surprise and, and get kids from all across the country. So I'm actually uh, really high on the way USC's recruiting, especially since, they, you know, since they've been winning. And I think that they have a great pool nationally. And if they keep winning, that's going to continue. That's nice. Okay, this is what I think Conscious B is referring to. Name me the last consensus five-star prospect that USC landed outside of the West. I, don't, I mean, there's names, I'm sure. I just, off the top of my head, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, Nelson Aguilar, Williams... I mean, there's, there's names out there. I'm sure I'm probably overlooking somebody in a recent class. Yeah, well, yeah, that's five kids. years ago. Yeah, but they get big Yeah, time Aguilar kids. and Leonard. Yeah, yeah, but answer my question. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't have the, the, the offer list. I don't have the recent classes in front of me. I'll go look at Yeah, the, the, one, the one I'm seeing here is Kenny Bigelow from Maryland in 2013 and then before that Aguilar Leonard Williams in 2012 so it's been a few years now some people might argue Chuma Doga um, he wasn't a five star everywhere but he was a five star on more than one recruiting service the point is these were the kind of guys are, are those go those five stars nationally, uh, outside of the West, those were the kind of guys that we saw come to USC. Like USC basically could pick and choose who they wanted of that ilk when Pete Carroll was the head coach. And we saw that when Kiffin arrived. But we haven't seen that so much of late. So I think the question is asked, have people softened on USC? And I think these uh, eight and four, nine and four, seven and six years caught up with them. I think that it can turn real quick. USC finished the year in the top five. They're going to begin next year in the top five. If they can finish... 2017. I'm talking about actually on the field, not in recruiting. If they can finish 2017 in the top, let's say top 10, top 12 in a in a New Year's Six Bowl, 
then we're gonna we're probably gonna see that next kid, that consensus five star outside of California or outside of the West, which would extend to Utah. We'll see someone from the East, let's just say the East or, or the you know the the Midwest, the South, come to USC. But they have taken a bit of a hit. Talking about two classes. Um, the, those sanctions were real. I mean, we don't talk about them nearly as much anymore. But they, it's been about a decade now where they've had some type of impact. Or I guess well, it really begins in 2010, so I shouldn't say a decade. But we're going on year eight. So, they're working their way out of that. I think that guy will change in due time. But, it's a real thing. I mean, sure, they recruit well outside of California and outside of the West. But, they're not getting exactly what they want. And we could think of a, a number of kids that, that they haven't gotten in the last few classes that they really wanted, that they they weren't even really in on. They might not have even gotten a visit. We disagree on the, the timeline, I think, here. And, and that's why I didn't even recognize that as being the question, is because I think that it's only been basically one class, maybe two. To me, it was when Clay Helton took over, and it was obvious why they weren't getting that kid. And I, I think in 2015, they pretty much did. Because uh, I think that when, as you mentioned, when Kiffin was there, they were doing it. I think when they fired Kiffin and hired Steve Sarkeesian, they were still doing it. Because Sarkeesian recruits at a high level, and I think that people just thought that was going to work, and that Kiffin was a problem. I think that when Sarkeesian became a problem, and they fired him and hired Clay Helton, a hire that was not recognized nationally as being a good hire or, you know, like USC type hire. I think that that's when you saw, yeah, these five-star kids, you know, from back east or whatever. They weren't jumping on them, but that to me was well, it was 2016, and then this last class, they started winning, they turned it around, and now it looks like, yeah, if they win, that's not even a problem anymore. So it's really felt like yeah. a break for like a year. No, no, no. Okay, wait. Kenny Bigelow was 2013. Okay, so Sark came in 2014. I'm not blaming him. He came in and he was in the 11th hour. But yeah. their five stars were local. It was yes. Adori and Juju. Yeah. And in 2015, where they were ranked number one nationally in recruiting, those five stars were from the West. I understand that. But if they pull the number one class and they get a guy like Chuma Adoga, who did have a five-star ranking on some, on some rankings, and they get a guy like... I think Ronald Jones was in that class. Mm -hmm. I'm not. That's a class that, to me, I think is like if Lane Kiffin signed that, Pete Carroll signed that, you could easily say that's a class that fits what they did. I get that they didn't get the you know whatever whoever the number one defensive tackle was in the country, whoever whatever they wanted, but it feels to me like that's a really good well put together class where they went out of state and they got a lot of guys to me the drop off if you're looking at that from 
high-end out-of-state kid drop-off starts in 2016. And they did still get some of those guys, but that's when you see, a, you know, some of these lower-ranked kids from back east where you're like, okay, they took this because SU's the big school, the biggest school they had coming after them, which you didn't usually see before or ever. Mm, I, again, I, I, that 2015 class has been the foundation for this Rose Bowl victory and might be the foundation for a national title. So I wouldn't necessarily change anything about it. But what, what the question was, are they losing their pull nationally? Well, that class doesn't reflect that they haven't. I think the coaching instability took its toll. You know, when you go from Kiffin to Orgeron to Sark to Helton, and Helton didn't have a a name that everyone knew around the country, then they have to play catch up. So. There, there's still, I mean, if uh, if they if they hadn't gone through so much turnover and unrest in the last, you know, five years, then not only do they get maybe a, a Marvin Wilson or Walker Little offensive lineman, um, they get Najee Harris. In California, right? They get Jalen Phillips. Well, yeah. I mean, there there are guys that, that they can get. They get Foster Sorrell. I mean, they they get guys. Uh, they get maybe Jeffrey Okuda from Texas. They're just not getting those guys right now. I agree. I just think that in 2015, I think they. Did get some I think that the last two classes were right on. Well, wait, you mean Chuma? Chuma and, and Ronald Jones. Okay. I mean, Ronald has shown that, you know, he's probably already outplayed his ranking. Chuma, we'll see. We'll see this year. But he was a someone that most everybody wanted, and as I mentioned, was a uh, a five-star on more than one other recruiting service. He just wasn't unrivaled. He was at one time. But it's one. What? He was at one time. And he wasn't, yeah, you're right. He was, at, he was a five-star unrivaled, and he ended up not being one. They got it right. It, it's, what, it's only one, though. I mean, again, I, I think USC had grown accustomed to getting more than one of these guys per class. And you have to go back to 2012 where they got more than one. Alright. I think we beat that question to I, I like the question. I appreciate it. I think it's a it's a good question. And I think that we're gonna see this change. Now one other thing that we should address, he mentioned how USC was offering a little bit later 
do you think that's an issue? Do you think that they need to offer kids outside of California earlier? Uh, no. I mean, it's it, it's hard to tell. It's it, because they offer some of them very early, and they offer some of them later. So I don't know what their process is. If it's like, we just need to, you know, we haven't seen this kid, and we've seen this kid, or what, I don't know what it is. Because, I mean, I think about this class, Tyreek Johnson had a scholarship offer from USC in 2015, I think, or 2016, something like that. I've been trying, you know what I mean? I've been calling the kid for years, for mm-hmm. months, basically. And then uh, you look down the list, and Houston uh, Griffin uh, from, uh, he's at IMG Academy originally from Chicago. He's ranked like 35th in the country. So maybe 15 spots lower than that kid. They're pretty much the same type of kid, I would think. And he got offered month ago why is there years difference i don't know you know what i mean so i don't know how to answer that question because do they need to be offering tyreek johnson earlier no do they need to be offering houston griffith earlier maybe but maybe not because it's still march and there's 11 months to go so i don't i don't see that as a problem uh but you know i mean maybe i i understand the premise of USC needs to be first on kids if they are in Southern California. I get that. I just don't know if that's, you know, if that can always happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's one last point about this. They've had to rebuild the roster the last couple of years because they had the small recruiting classes in 2012, 13, and 14 back-to-back. They were depleted at different positions in different years, depending on who had graduated and who transferred and who went early to the NFL. So a lot of what they've done, especially last year and the year before, but even a bit this year, they had a lot of needs to meet. Where moving forward, they're not even going to have room to bring in 25. And they're going to be able to be pickier, and maybe take more chances on players that they just really like, roll the dice with ultimately signing them, and not be as concerned with, well, we have to bring in five offensive linemen because we just have to. That's the position that they've been in the last couple years. And this year was the first in a while where there were a couple spots where, well, we could bring in another tight end even though we don't need to. They really didn't need to bring in. I think they're going to end up redshirting both these tight ends. So they could have gone without either if you wanted to, or maybe just bring in one. They brought in two. That was an example of where they could be greedy and like, well, we just like Josh Paulo so much that do we need a fifth tight end? No, but we think he might be really good. We're going to bring him in anyway, rather than bring in this other position where we're depleted. Because now they, they appear to have numbers pretty much everywhere. Except maybe one position, uh, cornerback, because it seems like they're looking at moving Keyshawn Young to receiver. That's what Keyshawn tweeted himself coming out of the first week of spring practice. If that's a full-time move, then <laughs> they have another receiver, and they, they have more than enough there. 
Everyone knows that. And then they'd, they'd probably be a little bit shorthanded at cornerback. Now, that's, I'm saying that uh, without context. You know, maybe Keyshawn's a better receiver than corner. Or maybe they just don't see him as a playable corner. So, there's no use in them keeping him there if, if they feel that way. But they are a little bit lopsided there where they have a couple more receivers than they need and they could probably use at least one or two more corners. But this roster is now, I think, close to balanced. It's close to 85. And and when, when you're at that point, then you can be choosier. And I think they'll become maybe less reliant on the West Coast and less beholden to um, just the position distribution. All right, let's move on. Okay. Adam. Totally unfair question. This is from the West's Best. Who's this from? I just I just said it. This is from the West's yeah. Best. Adam. Okay, totally. yeah. Let's introduce him. I, I, I said the first sentence and then I introduced it. My fault. Adam, totally okay. unfair question, the West's Best says. Give your best guess at an opening day offensive line and defensive line, or maybe just the ones you would pick. No one can hold you to a prediction made before Easter. Yeah, I I, I still like it. It's fun. I'm going to be wrong, inevitably, because it, it is before Easter. But here's what I'm thinking. Okay, I, I have Chuma Doga at left tackle. I have Toa Lovengon at left guard. I like him there better than anywhere else. So I put him there. Even though he might be the second best tackle on the team, I think he's a better player at left guard. So I'm going to put him there. Then I got Nico Fala at center. Vianney Kalamaval at right guard. And then at right tackle, I really don't know. I mean, it'd be easy for me to just say Roy Hemsley because that's what they're doing through one week of spring practice. And maybe that proves to be the best option. I wouldn't want to put Toa Lovig on there because he hasn't even played it. He's played left tackle and he's played the other three positions in the middle. He hasn't played right tackle. I'm not saying he couldn't, but I, I wouldn't put him at right tackle. I don't know who I'd put at right tackle right now. Or who I would start at right tackle. Um, you'd like to see more competition between maybe moving Clayton Johnston to the right side. If you get to a point where you believe that Chuma is your clear-cut guy on the left, then maybe you throw Clayton on the right side. Uh, Nathan Smith, you know, unfortunately he's not healthy right now and he won't be until... Maybe training camp. And so you can't put him at right tackle right now. I can't predict that he'll be the right tackle. I don't I don't have a right tackle. I, I know that I'm not really honoring the spirit of the question, but I feel like it's impossible for me to to say who should be the right tackle. Well, like, do, you, I mean, do you have a guy? I mean, EJ Price could end up there, but... You know, he's not on the roster right now. I'll take EJ Price. Yeah? I, I mean, that's the problem. They don't 
have a right tackle. I think they're going to figure out how to get the guy that wants to come back to the team on the team. It's the easiest solution. Yeah. The guy who hasn't played a lot of football in what will be he's, two years by that point. He's still better than everything else. Oh, you know that. Okay. <laughs> I, view, I mean, like, what are their other options to tackle? You can't even name them. You know what I mean? Like, that's how bad yeah, it is. Yeah, well, Roy Hemsley. Yeah, that's not, like, if they, if, good luck. I mean, like, really, like, if they play good, good luck to Roy Hemsley, like, I hope he does well. But I would think that that's a huge problem if Roy Hemsley is your starting left. That'd be my estimation. How come? Because he was a huge project coming out of high school. I just don't expect him to be ready. Well, he's even, in year three now. I know. I still don't expect him to be ready. I mean, like, it maybe, like, I, I would want to hear glowing reports from him out of practice before mm-hmm. he's starting for the first time, if I'm going to feel comfortable with that. Because I'm just telling you that the first time that the guy that was a project starts, I'm not feeling comfortable with it. And throughout history, just from what I, I, I can't remember the, a time when, that guy started and it went well early. You know what I mean? Like, Zach yeah. Banner was a project. I don't think that went well early. I think Chad Wheeler was a project. I don't think that went well early. I just don't expect it to go well early. Maybe it'll work out. I think you're right. He's older. You know, it's the time. It's around the time that it's supposed to start to click for him if it's going to. I just it would make me nervous. I'd rather have the guy that came in as the guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good tough call. Um, should be good competition, but I, right now I, you know, I don't have. I, I think we'll have maybe a better clue at the end of spring. But like I mentioned, I think a couple people are going to come back that might be competing. Something else to keep note of is that Clay Helton has said people would rotate position on the offensive line. And so I don't think he was trying to do that a lot in week one. They still have four more weeks of spring practice. And we could very well see new faces at right tackle moving forward. Um, Might see more of Andrew Voorhees, the incoming freshman. That's another another guy to to throw in the hat. what about defensive line? You give me your picks, and then I'll give you mine. Okay. Uh, this could be very wrong down the line because things are going to change. I don't expect any of the freshmen to be starters. Maybe they do. Maybe they eventually take it later in the season. But to me, I mean, if I'm making the safe bet, Rasheem Green, obviously. Uh, and then I think Kenny Bigelow, as long as he's healthy, you know, you kind of got to rely on him. And then I think it's between Rector and Fatu. I'd lean towards Rector. Uh, I'm not sure. But, and, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's not – they're not all playing the right position, right? Maybe you got to flip the word around. But for me, I would just want to get those guys on the field as starters because they have game experience and they're older. So that's what yeah. I yeah, I mean, Rasheem Green's going to be the defensive end. After that, it's still a major question mark. It doesn't help that Big Low is not going to be in pads for spring. 
So, I don't know if that means that they have him penciled in as one of the starters and they're protecting him for that reason, or just that they don't want him to get injured at all because they want, they, you know, they're going to use him and he still would need to win that competition in fall. I mean, I thought that he'd be competing for it right now. So, it did catch me off guard when I found out that Bigelow would be out for spring. I, I think my guess then would be Fatu at nose tackle. And then when they're using three down linemen, which they don't a lot of the time, I think the third one, my choice would be Christian Rector. And maybe that's where Bigelow would be competing for that job. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot more rotation anyway on this defensive line. But if we're talking about the top three, then I'm going Green, Faku, and Rector. Adam. All right. Disagreeing with me as always. Okay. Yeah, I thought we agreed. Well, I threw Bigelow. We threw Bigelow Rector. We were close enough, I guess. Okay. <laughs> David Law. I'll make sure to introduce your name before I say any words, or Adam will get mad at me. David Law says, "Time for America's favorite game," which means it's Adam and I's least favorite. Just kidding, David. I love this game. Draft the Trojans. Chris and Adam, please start with the defensive backfield. Thanks. Reminder, it includes the incoming freshman class, and what you're drafting for is best overall career at USC. Adam. I actually really like this game. We played it before. I like it. Good. I don't know if you were being sarcastic, but I do like it. I, I love it. I, I like that you like it. Okay. Now he said that he wanted he wants to include the incoming freshman class. Yeah. So um, I want this uh, stricken from the record, but we'll play nonetheless. Can I have the first pick? Go for it. All right, Biggie Marshall. Darn you! That was my first pick. Okay, now I gotta go second. Oh, second. Pick. I also believe. Uh, what? Okay, one reason why I'm picking Biggie. Um, if it's not obvious, I believe that he'll play four years at USC. And that adds more value because we're drafting the whole career. I'm going to go uh, Marvel. Okay. All right. You want to tell us why? Or are you just going to pick your guy? Similar reasons to you. You know, he's been playing a long time. Uh, I, I think that by you know the time his career is over, people will look back on that. They'll see a solid, consistent guy that you know played for four years, and I, I think he kind of has that body type where you wonder, you know, is he going to be a real NFL guy? I think I want to see a jump in the level of play from him a little bit, but I just see all this potential there, you know. So long time playing. Good job soon, so I'll take him. I think yeah, it's a yeah. Than some of the freshmen that maybe people, you know, could think could come in and maybe play better earlier or something like that. But I just think he's a safe pick. Okay, I mean, it, 
I found it interesting because he has a, some catching up to do with Chris Hawkins. He has another year on him, but he has some catching up to do. Yeah, okay. I'm going to go with Jack Jones. Yeah. And he's just getting started. And I think that uh, now he'll be a full-time player. And I expect him to remain that moving forward and to be very productive. All right. I'm going to go Isaiah Polamau next. All right. Uh, I think that safety is going to open up soon, uh, next few years. Uh, I like him. I know there's going to be a big debate between him and Bubba Bolden. And I know some people probably would draft Bolden first, but I like Polamau better. I like him because I see him as an athlete type and uh, you know, ball hockey type safety that has those skills to, you know, to, to make plays with interceptions and I know USC really likes that type of player uh, and I think that that fits what they want to do and I think they're going to be looking to get him on the field uh, and they need safeties in the near future and I think that's going to be a good long career for him okay yeah it's already we're already at the hard part because there are six players who haven't even played yet and then there are a few others that have played so little so, because we're getting the totality of their career, my next pick would be Hawkins. Because he's played, he, he's already played three full years, and uh, the last two have been very productive, and now he has a, a final year where I expect him to be a full-time starter and be very productive. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. That's what I would Picked him if you didn't pick him, I would pick him next. Okay. So, ooh, this is, it gets harder and harder, doesn't it? I'm going to take Bubba yeah. Bolden. I'm going to take Bubba Bolden. Okay. I, That's who I was going to pick if you didn't pick. Yeah, because I, I, for similar reasons as Paul Mal, you know, I think he's one of the best safety prospects in the country. Their safety's going to open up eventually, and, you know, he's going to be right there. Okay. Uh, all right. Now, I, I mean, if we're going to draft all of them, because there, there are a lot here. There are 15 that we're looking at. We're not counting Keyshawn Young because he tweeted that he was moving to receiver. I realize that that isn't necessarily going to be permanent, but we already got 15 guys. We'll just not include him in this one. Um, my next pick, I'm going to go with Ajene. He had a nice redshirt sophomore year, and I think he's a favorite right now to be the, the nickelback. He's a redshirt junior. He's a couple of years left to play. I'm going to go with Ajene. I'm going to go Greg Johnson, and I'm going to throw a note in here. That, uh, yeah, that, that you get all his uh, production at other positions. Well, exactly, and I think 
that will. <laughs> it's it's kind of like a Dory Jackson, where I'm not certain he's going to be their best cornerback, or even the best cornerback in the class, or you know, in his including redshirt freshman or whatever else. But he's going to do other things, and I just think people are going to remember him as having a really productive career at USC. So I like him. I think he's a value. I, yeah, I like it. I thought about him for sure. And uh, I don't know that he'll be one of the best cornerbacks among this group or defensive backs, but because he can end up doing so many other things, you know, he could be as productive as maybe anybody in this group. That's the way it works. If you're going to become an elite return player or maybe a two-way player, or just even move to offense. So I like that pick. All right, from here, I feel like I'm the better bet is to go young. There's some veterans here that have been waiting for their turn, and maybe this is a breakout year for them right now. But because they've been there and, and been in the program a couple years and really haven't played much, I feel better about going young, and so I'm going to go with Jamel Cook. Okay. Okay, that's a good pick. I'm going young, too. I'm going to take Jakar Godfrey. I think that he's a cornerback that fits their system. Uh, he's a big, long guy. I think that there's a chance that they need cornerbacks in a couple of years badly. I, you know, you have Iman Marshall, uh, you know, going to be gone soon. Uh, Jack Jones might be three and done if he gets his chance, you know, to shine or whatever. And he has a big year. He's that kind of player where you're looking at him like that. Uh, I like I, that you call him Jackie, by the way, because yeah. everybody calls him Jack Jack now. And I, I don't want to call him Jack Jack. I feel like I'm too old to call anybody Jack Jack. Yeah. I Sorry. I, I, I just no, wanted to put that out there. No, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's really obnoxious when grown men like call kids by like a child nickname you know what I mean like his name is Jack Jackie I don't know I'm not gonna call him Jack Jack I'm not gonna you know I don't know that's just not me it's just not me I'm calling him by his name right I mean whatever yeah um, so I totally forgot who I just picked or why oh Jakar Godfrey that's right um right that's yeah, I just think there's tons of reasons. Yeah. I think that, you know, the older guys, like you said, um, we're looking at them like, could they transfer? Are they ever going to play? And I, I look at the depth chart, and I'm like, gosh, they, they could just need to play this guy in a year or two, really. And uh, yeah, I think he's pretty good, too. So another value pick. Okay. All right. From here... I'm going to pick Ikele Ross. He's still a redshirt sophomore, meaning he has three more years to play. And while things haven't played out the way that we thought they would with him and, you know, that he hoped, I still see a guy that can do a lot of things in the football field. And so maybe they have to be creative with him. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But I watch him play football, and I like the way he plays football. So 
we'll, we'll see what, what ends up happening with him. I'm going to take him here because I think if he does get on the field on a regular basis, which is right now the biggest hurdle, but if he can find a way onto the field, I think he'll play well. See, and, and this is why I would have taken C.J. Pollard there and why I'm taking him now. It's, yeah, it's do it. It's because I think Ross could be gone after this year. He really could. I mean, if he doesn't play this year, he could transfer. I really feel that way. And then you're looking at a guy that, you know, never really played for them or whatever. And I, I don't see that with Pollard. He's a younger guy. I think he's a guy, too, that, you know, he, he wants to be at SC. There's family connections there. He's going to develop. And then later in his career, he'll get his chance. And, you know. Well, I'll mention another thing about Pollard. I know we don't talk about him a lot, but he does make plays in practice. He's someone that I find myself, you know, in my notes just kind of noticing quietly, like, oh, he did that, and he did that, and he did this. And uh, he usually is in the right spot. And so that's a big deal for Pendergast, just knowing what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, he is someone that um, maybe isn't on the radar right now, but um, when there is open competition at safety, which – might not be this year, but it, there, it might be just in a year from now. Maybe he'll uh, he'll make his move. So I like that pick. And uh, I think we only have a couple people left here. I'm just seeing Jonathan Lockett and Isaiah Langley. And Matt Lopes, who should be drafted next, if you had any sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I didn't mention Lopes initially because he was a former walk-on, and there are a lot of other walk-ons that we're not including here. But um, let me go with my pick then among the final three that you mentioned because Lopes has been a uh, a rotational player for a while. So he's worthy of being drafted. I'm going to go with Isaiah Langley. He's got two full years. This is a year where he can find himself in a big role depending on whether he can win a job or if someone gets injured. Um, Lockett and Lopes are both in their final year. And so while I think Lockett could end up having a, a decent role this year as well, um, I think there's a lot more room for Langley to do something with two years to play. I'm going to go with Langley. Okay. I'm picking Lopes. I'm going to say it again. If you had any sense, you would have picked Matt Lopes last pick because Matt Lopes has already done he's already so Jonathan Lockett yes but but you have to remember what Matt Lopes did at USC when they had no scholarship players remember right he was he was playing he was he was actually playing and to me you know and regularly and he's a walk-on or former walk-on and to me when you're talking about you know their career we might not remember Isaiah. You know what I mean? I mean, we will, obviously, but but USC fans might not. I would guess, I would think, that there's going to be more USC fans that remember Matt Lopes because he was the walk-on out there. You know, he's the, the son of a you know big-time guy at USC or whatever, and he's played a few years ago. So yeah, that's the, why I would just think of The athletic director? Is that who yeah. you meant? Yeah. Okay. I, is, that, that, is that not a big-time guy of USC? Yes. 
You just took it like it was just some guy, but like yeah, he's, he's like very the, big. he's like their favorite janitor or something. He's a big time guy. Steve Loeb took a big deal. Steve Loeb took a very big deal. Okay, um, I get, I wasn't buying like the whole narrative. I thought we were just buying production at USC, okay. but um, that's fine. You can have Loeb, and I'll take Lockett okay. gladly. Okay, all right. Draft. That was fun. I, I we we gotta do that again. I'm sure we'll be asked again, and I'll be ready for it. Let's yeah. move on. And David Law, I actually do like him. I should say that, too. Okay. Now on to S-E-T-M-P-B-B. Unless it's, like, some word. <laughs> it's just all together. No. Like, like, it's, 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 but, um, Mr. No. Swanson and Mr. Maya, which I love, by the way. I wish everybody addresses that. Way. I greatly enjoy your podcast, so we enjoy recording them. Please tell me why USC football fans so apathetic and lackadaisical with regard to the fact that Pat and Max, I love that Pat's back, seem intent on turning the most historical athletic venue in the United States into a lopsided, cheaply upgraded football stadium with almost 9,000 prime seats being replaced by oversized glass house luxury suites for those, quote, special, quote, ones which will result in an even quieter football stadium with less seating capacity that's our first uh punctuation there by the way just to show you how how passionate we are how can this be when other universities such as notre dame are increasing the size of their stadiums how can it be that a private enterprise is willing to pump 350 million into a soccer stadium next door and George Lucas is willing to pump in a billion dollars for a museum next door. While USC, with arguably the greatest athletic history of any university in the country, is content to spend a measly $270 million on the renovation. So that much of the Pac-12, not to mention a plethora of other universities around the country, will have a better venue to watch a football game than the university with the most first-round draft picks. And how can the, quote, special alumni spend the big bucks for these suites live with themselves instead of using their influence to get Pat and Max to turn the Coliseum into the kind of world-class facility that it was originally meant to be and where other teams fear to play, as in the case, for example, with the U of W or Notre Dame or Ohio State. I love SC, and I have multiple degrees from SC, but this renovation is a joke and a travesty. Adam, would you like to go first? I had so much fun reading that question, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that, but I really did. Would you like to go first, Adam? I, I can hear it. Yeah, you hit like a seventh octave. I loved it. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think that, like there's a, a good answer for this, but I've been thinking about it because I read it in advance, and it made me think of the Col- the Coliseum. Made me think of like Fenway Park and Wrigley Field because I view it in that light. I feel like it has that charm and that history and that nostalgia and that importance. I mean, it's a, you know, 
it's a sacred monument, I feel like, in L.A. And I, I think for the country as well. The problem is it's a football stadium. And we're in 2017. And so because of that, you're going to have to either rebuild it from scratch or you're going to do what they're doing right here. You're going to renovate every so often to keep up. You have to have the luxury suites. You can't just keep it as is the way that they do with the examples I gave Wrigley and Fenway where with a baseball game the luxury suites don't matter. You can you can get by just you know taking care of the uh, the nuts and bolts of those stadiums and cleaning up a little bit like they, like they have with both of them but not really fundamentally change the design of the stadium. With the Coliseum, it's going to take some deep-rooted changes. And so, I mean, we've seen the, the drawings, and I think they look nice. I think the Coliseum will be nice, but it's going to be different. And I don't know what it'll feel like. I know that for a lot of us, it feels like it's ours, like we grew up there, like we belong to it, like it belongs to us. And I don't know if it will feel like that with the new Coliseum. I'm not saying it can't, but it, it very well might feel very different. And I don't really think there's anything you can do about it because it's a football stadium. I love that answer, Adam. Um, there's two there's there's two sides of it, really. I'm going to admit it right now. There's the, there's the crazy side of it that wants to just scream at And then there's the side of me that is rational, and I'm like, I'm not an architect. You know, I don't know what the best renovation policy would have been. I know that it needed something. You know, I know that it needed upgraded. I know that. But I'm not an architect. Um, I haven't seen it, obviously. It's not done yet or whatever. We haven't seen it. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, it does worry me, though, because I remember those temporary luxury suites I thought Mm -hmm. And I was surprised that USC did that. Uh, so that, that that's what worries me is I worry, okay, are they going to do something again that's really ugly and awful and you know, destroys the feel of the Coliseum? And I'm worried. I, I totally get that. But again, I'm not an architect, and I know that something needed to be done. So I'm glad that they're doing something that you know, needed to be done. Now, again, saying again that I'm not an architect, what I would have liked to have seen if it was me designing this, is I don't get why they took so many seats out of the middle, like he's talking about, or enclosed them, or whatever, in the middle. I would have wanted to see the luxury suites around the ring up top. You know, give them, you, you have obviously some of the end zone, which maybe aren't desirable, but you would have them uh, in desirable locations that just be up top. And then I think that, that would kind of, you know, help keep the noise in, kind of create a roof, sort of, inside the stadium. Uh, that, that would be what I would look to do. I don't know if that's even feasible because, again, I'm not an architect. And another thing that I would have liked to see the, the Coliseum do, uh, 
uh, you know, renovation that I didn't see get addressed is to finally, you know, figure out how to use the peristyle for seating, make it like an enclosed football stadium. I've never gotten why there's, you know, those benches there basically that are covered by, you know, Heisman Trophy winning jerseys and then they put these really ugly temporary bleachers in front of them. I would like to see that get addressed. It didn't get addressed. So I look at this renovation and yeah, like I think like many fans, uh, you know, like many USC fans out there and, you know, obviously I cover it, I'm not a fan, but it makes me scratch my head because I'm like, this doesn't, you know, this feels like it's not addressing a problem in the Coliseum that's big in the end zone seating. It feels like it's, you know, uh, kind of ripping away a bunch of really nice seats. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, total number of seats, which I know that, you know, USC probably doesn't sell them out, but I know that in big time games that matters. That's something people care about, you know, having 92,000 people there. I also think about recruiting and maybe this doesn't matter too much, but I think, you know, if USC is recruiting against UCLA and Notre Dame, UCLA hosts USC, they bring recruits there. Notre Dame hosts USC, they bring recruits there. And then USC hosts those two teams, they bring recruits to those games. Does just the game and the atmosphere that's 90,000 now feel bigger than the game of the atmosphere of 68 or 75 or whatever they're, I think it's 75 that they're dropping or something like that. Does the game feel bigger now? These bigger atmospheres, these rivalry games? I don't know. I don't know if that matters. It's just something that entered my head as well. So there's a lot of things uh, to worry about, I think, to question, but I want to see it first. I want to see the final product, and then I'll tell you guys what I think, because I will definitely let you know if I think it's an ugly spaceship-looking thing. It should have never been, you know, but I don't know what it's going to look like. It might blow me away. It might be beautiful. So I don't I don't know really what it would be. I'm just with you, Adam Maya, something needed to happen. Well, I think we have to see it, we have to hear it, we have to feel it. USC doesn't regularly get to 90,000. There was a run there where it did, and it wasn't even when they were first winning titles. It was actually later after they won them is when they were really selling out because people were jumping on the bandwagon uh, after the fact. But the Coliseum doesn't get super loud unless it's full. That's just the way it's always worked there. So maybe when you drop down to, I think, 77,000 is what they're doing or what they believe it'll uh, finish with, maybe it will be louder. I don't know. We, we, we just can't say for sure what it will sound like. I also don't see this renovation as the end-all, be-all. I think that if they need to add seats or they need to amend what they've done, that that will be an option after when, after they finish this. I think they're always going to be working on it. I think, I mean, this is a big one, and it's definitely the, the most prominent one in a long time, but I don't see it as being the final product either. Now, it's probably the one that we're going to be living with for quite some time. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what you think is important. Um, you mentioned the peristyle, and, I mean, they've kind of just left that untouched for a long time. But they could 
conceivably move the field to that end. I mean, the problem is it, it was a track field, a track stadium, and so the field is too big. So the structure is built around that. I mean, we, we all know that. But you can move the field to the other end, and then you have these other seats on the opposite end of the peristyle that are undesirable because they're so far away. They got to dig. Yeah, I mean... Make that, that field smaller. Right, we make the stadium smaller? I mean... The field. That, the, how do you make the field smaller? You dig down and you add seats until it just works out. This is why I'm not an architect, by the way. Yeah, okay, good. Um, I mean, that's been an issue for a long time as well. So, I don't know like what the right answer is to this. I understand that people are indignant about the changes. I also get why people would clamor for changes as well. And like I said, it's been a very nostalgic venue for a long time. And I realize that a bit of that, maybe a, a great bit of that, could be lost with the, with the renovation. I wish I had a more reassuring response, but I don't. I know that there's a big argument on our on our website, which is, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's wrong here because their opinion, and I, I appreciate people's uh, passion for it. So, I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Let's move on. There's an argument on our website. I'm blown away. Alex Bow has uh, two questions for us. Uh, question one: Do you guys agree? that USC is as loaded and tight and depth-wise as you can remember. It feels like we have five legitimate prospects. Let's just start with question one. Yeah. So they have two coming in. We haven't seen them, but, you know, they were noted prospects. And from what I've seen from Kerry Angeline, I think he'll produce. And then we we already know about Daniel Maturbebe and Tyler Petit. So, depth-wise, they're loaded. Now, talent-wise, I think there's still more to see. I mean, I remember back with Alex Holmes and Dominique Bird and even Greg Gunther, where it felt like you could throw out any of those guys and you would get production out of them. We're not there yet, but we might be. You know, this season might be it. I mean, I'm expecting Daniel Maturbebe to break out. And I think Tyler Petit can help you out. And I'm expecting Kerry Angeling to do it too. So it's just a matter of them all doing it. And that's before we even get to the incoming freshmen. It reminds me of the time. It's a, wait, hold on. It, I think it's a better version of what they had a few years back with Grimble and Telfer. And uh, who's the other one? Christian Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll be better than that. Okay. For sure. It okay, re- go ahead. It reminds me of a time when 
they had Xavier Grimble, Randall Telfer, Christian Thomas. <laughs> okay. No, I'm serious. Because, uh, like you said, we there's more to be seen production-wise, but it feels like that to me because it felt like, oh my gosh, they got they have so many you know high quality tight end prospects. It should just work out. I think right after that class, they added Junior Palme. I believe he was in the class right after. Uh, it felt like they at that time. USC has so many good tight ends, so many good tight ends. So it felt very similar. As you pointed yeah. out, with the talent, there's more to be seen. That you know, group of tight ends, uh, it didn't turn out that way, really. I mean, you know, yeah, Palme left. They were okay. He was afterwards, obviously. Christian Thomas uh, didn't do anything. Got hurt, I think, and then ended up leaving. And then you ended up having really two guys out of that that, that didn't live up to the, their rank. They were good, but they weren't elite. So you always have to be careful when when you're just looking at numbers and you know stars that rival stand out or whatever, because uh, you don't know. But it does feel like they're very deep. Yeah, I mean, I think at tight end, it's a position where you're judged by your best one. And if Daniel Mutarebe is elite, then this is a great crop because you start with him. And you already know that Tyler Paquette can produce. And I think we're going to see that with Kerry Angeline. So they're going to be remembered for being as good as maybe Daniel Amatorbebe is, at least right now. Um, I can't speak for the other two incoming freshmen. But it really starts with him. You're not, you're not using all of them at the same time and exploiting all of them at the same time, which is... Part of the next question, uh, do we expect uh, more two and perhaps three tight end sets next year? Well, we haven't seen any three tight end sets. Um, could they do that? Yeah. Although I don't know that they're getting the blocking out of those guys that would justify it. That's usually what you're doing with at least one, if not two of them. And, and we've seen that from Stanford. We, I don't know yet that they have a great blocker uh, among this group. Maybe, I think one still has to materialize. So we're going to see two. We've, we've seen it already in spring practice. We saw more and more of it last year, later in the year. I think that it can become a somewhat regular thing. Especially because Immature Baby and Petit have been in the system for two years each. So... I think they should be ready to, to rock and roll. Awesome. All right. Great. Thank you, Alex Bell. I don't need to take the second one. You killed it, Adam. Marty SC Seidman. Our good friend. He's a war daddy on our site. That's that's the title I have, too. Um, okay. I don't, know, I don't know what war daddy means, but it's cool. Hi, guys, is what Marty says. Hi, Marty. All the updates on practice and recruiting are greatly appreciated. We appreciate you greatly. Appreciate. My question is to each of you on the podcast: How many receivers do you think we take, and which of those being offered do we have the best chance of getting? Thanks for all of your work, Marty. Thank you for the question. I'll take this one, Adam. Why not? Uh, I think SC. I, I think three is kind of what I see them taking in this class for receivers. I think they're going to get Jalen Hall. I think they're going to get Amon Ross and Brown, uh, two five stars, two of the best receivers in the country. 
And then for the third guy, I think, who knows? I think it's just because they've offered, I believe, it's 20 receivers, 19 receivers. Um, they have guys that they've offered at receiver, also at safety, cornerback, you know, maybe two position guys. Maybe that changes that number two. Maybe it kind of gets higher because some of those guys are, you know, being counted as corners or safeties or whatever. But I, I just look at those two primary guys, Jalen Hall, Alvin Ross, St. Brown, and I think, gosh, that third guy, it's, I don't know, whoever's there at the end, whoever they want. I mean, they already got rid of Manuel Allen, who would have been the easy choice, right, for, for that third receiver. Um, I don't know. They've offered so many guys locally. There's so many good receivers in this class locally. I think we have to wait and see. Um, I think a lot of them uh, would be willing to jump on board. I think, uh, you know, both receivers uh, from Sarah, uh, Gardena Sarah, obviously Brian Addison's also being recruited to play defensive back. Chase Williams from Corona is also being recruited to play defensive back. Like, he could jump on. Uh, I'm not sure, though, if he's their top priority. I think that's really all of the same Brown are the top priorities. Solomon Ennis uh, from, uh, from Austin Jackson's high school. Uh, spoken so highly about USC. He recently got offered. Chase Cota is a name that people will bring up. I think he'll go to Oregon, but it's worth knowing because they're West. There's so many guys uh, at that third spot, or, you know, the spot outside of Hall and St. Brown, however, you know, four, one of them's playing both ways, whatever else. That's anybody's guess at this now. There's too many targets right now. But I think they'll get Hall and St. Brown, assuming USC continues to work. Yeah, they... You know, they really don't even need three. I mean, they've over-recruited that position for a while now. And they're not losing a lot right now. Uh, Stephen Mitchell is a redshirt senior. And then Burnett and Green are juniors. And they have all those freshmen. So, and, and they might be moving Keyshawn Young there. So, I... I think they'll probably... I mean, it's going to be a small class, too. That's the other thing. They, they won't have room for 25. I don't know that they will bring in more than two, although they're recruiting like it. It looks like they want to bring in as many as they can. <laughs> it always looks like that with receiver. But, uh, you know, I, maybe two to three. Um, I, if they go beyond that, they're really, I think, um, doing a disservice to other parts of their roster. I, I, I don't understand how they recruit receivers. Obviously, I don't coach. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't question it, but to me, why do you have that many scholarship offers out to, to receivers locally that you're going to be in on, you're going to be able to get? You, know, you, don't, you don't need an offer. That's how I feel. I think it's crazy. You're right. They're recruiting like they're going to take 18 wide receivers. That's what it's like, 15 wide receivers. Or I'm serious. That's how it seems because all these kids – are high on USC. Uh, so, yeah, it's very interesting. But uh, we'll see what happens. I think two would be the perfect yeah. number. But that's me. Yeah. Okay. All right. On to Nick from Cyprus. Am I reading his roll call? No. No? Okay. No. But you no. make him write it. Thank, thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Just a note here. Adam makes Nick write the roll call like when he I, I don't write. make him write it what are you talking about when I mean, you're taking more time giving us disclaimer just go Let's okay go. when he doesn't write it, you complain whatever That's okay just go okay read the question his question is simple 
Do yeah, we think sure. Sam Darnold can be the man to get USC to a Rose Bowl or more, regardless of the loss of Juju, Ajax, 3-0 Lyman, and others just based on his talents? Let's start there. Okay. Get him to the Rose Bowl. Now, the Rose Bowl this year is the Final Four. So, if he meant it, like, generally, like last year, then yeah. I think that they could have gotten into one of the the New Year's Six polls. But can he get them into the Final Four regardless of those losses based on his talent? But in the context of, you know, he has to play with the rest of the people on his team. I don't think they're going to the Final Four. It's early, so I might change that opinion. But right now... I don't think they're going to the Final Four. So you're saying no? Yeah, not because of Sam Darnold. Okay. I I yeah. mean, I think Sam Darnold could get them there because I think he's probably the best quarterback in the country this year. Um, you know, I think of last year they did finish ranked third. They only lost one game with Sam Darnold his first game starting and it was on the road so yes I think he can get there despite all those losses do I think they will no I don't think USC will get to the final four the Rose Bowl um, even in the context of conference championship you know if he's just saying oh they win the Pac-12 and that's you know I know it's not the Rose Bowl I, I'm just guessing that maybe Nick meant that instead of the final did well, they, they last year they didn't win a conference title game. They didn't even play in well, it. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And they win. I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'm not even sure can if they I be, would. Can they be in the top 10? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm I not think even... he can do that. Exactly. He did it already. Exactly. So I'm not even sure they can, they can, they're going to win the conference. They can. I'm not sure they're going to. Yeah. So. But he said Rose Bowl. So that's why I applied it to 2017. It's part of the Final Four. That's fine. I'm saying, yeah. I would say, I would bet on no for both, but I think he could. How about that? How's that? <laughs> That's stupid and confusing. But what, okay. What, okay, I just think that Nick maybe didn't mean Final Four. I'm saying you're more well-researched than him, possibly, in this question. I don't know. Who knows? Um, okay. Nick also wants us to share a bet on basketball. I believe we did that at the beginning of the show. Um, we shared it. We shared it. So he says, fight on basketball team to a sweet 16 run. Run, it takes a team to win. Benny Buckets, Matthew, J. Mack, etc. Thank you, Nick. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, basically, he promised that they were going to the Sweet 16. And because they won the playing game, Chris is a moron. <laughs> right? That, can I sum up what happened on our message yeah, board? Yeah, well, it's kind of my fault because, I, because after he said, when they go to the Sweet 16, you have to buy me a shirt or something, I said, when they lose to Providence, you have to call me a basketball. So it is my fault uh, because I did say, you know, I did put it out there, right? I thought they were going to lose okay. Providence, but I'm Wait, an idiot. Either. I'm looking, I'm looking at his avatar, and I think he's actually taking a photo with Levar Ball. That's amazing. <laughs> I hope that is Levar Ball. Um, let's move on. Though. Wait, not? no. So no? I think we need we need to make this bet happen, where if they get to the Sweet Sixteen, you give him a lifetime membership to our okay. website. That's fine. But and if if they don't, he has to buy a, a big baller brand 
t-shirt or hat and wear it to every home game, every USC basketball home game next year. I think that's a great bet. And if he wants to get out of doing that, he can just give me $300. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. On to Exodus 1, another friend of the show. Uh, is USC baseball an afterthought for USC now as the team simply isn't very competitive nationally at all for like 10 years? Other private schools get it done. USC just isn't. I'm going to start with this one, if you don't mind. Um, yeah? Let me say yes and no. Yes and no. Because, oh, gosh. Come on, man. Oh, come on. Yes let me or have... no. Are they an afterthought? Fine. Yes. But yeah, they when, they, when they win, they're not. Okay which was going right. to be a part of my answer. But, okay. yes, they are. They are an afterthought. Because okay. we, we cover the team a bit. Uh, I have students do it. I, for a while, I actually went and covered USC Baseball. For a while. Yeah, I, I did too. Did. Yeah, mm-hmm. Adam did too. Okay. Then the I had a kid, team. and so I just you couldn't don't do, anymore. You couldn't work for the site anymore. I get okay. <laughs> okay. So going to those games, there's no fan support. I mean, it's not a big stadium. Anyway, it's not a big college baseball stadium. Well, that, that's college baseball. But not in the SEC. I don't know. I, I know that that is on the West Coast. I've been to many teams, okay. bigger, or, you know, yeah, big programs, teams that had a, a bigger season than USC. That draw is not unusual. Okay. But for a program that's won 12 national titles. Sure. Twice as yeah, many. Yeah, you wouldn't as many, think it. Yeah, twice as many as anyone else. Twice as many. Yeah. There should be a passion from the fans. They should try to carry the program back to where it was and i get that there's there's the title nine disadvantages i get it and there's all these disadvantages for usc now that the public schools have over private schools i get it and they're and they're going to have trouble competing regularly but they should be better than they are because they really they're just nothing now they just really but usc baseball doesn't matter and it's crazy because i believe they won a national title when i was 11 or something like that they won one when i was a kid Younger. They won in 98. 98. I was eight years old. So that is obviously well after all the issues with title and all that kind of stuff. It can be done at USC. It's harder than it used to be, obviously. Much, much harder, much different. But it shouldn't be an afterthought. They should be competitive nationally. They've won 12 national titles. They should, they should have games that they sell out that are a big deal. It just, for some reason, you know, you, you, the feeling around that program, being around that program, it's kind of like, whatever, college baseball, we're just a college baseball team, and they should be the biggest deal in college baseball, just based on their history. If USC basketball had won 12 national titles, I don't think USC basketball would be what it is today. USC baseball feels like USC basketball more than it feels like USC football. And really, it's more like U.S. So that shouldn't well, I, be I that. I think the question, okay, I, I think we're, we're getting off track. The question, I believe, is whether the university treats it like an afterthought. I mean, we know for the fans it is. Do you, do you think that the university is treating a program like an afterthought? It is an afterthought for the university as well. Because I think that when it, the fans and the university kind of go hand in hand, what, what, are, what are they investing? You know what I mean? What's the return here? I, I, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel mm-hmm. like if they win two, you know, back-to-back national titles, right, maybe it pays off. But anything outside of that 
there's not a huge payoff for USC. I just I don't I don't feel it. I don't. Well, feel even like if they gig, yeah, even if they gig, they're not going to generate the revenue that they would from the basketball team just being competitive or the football team, you know, existing. Yeah. So. So yeah, I, it's about money. Yeah. So I think you see it other schools. It is priority because they don't have football or they're good at it and they want to be good at it or whatever. And at USC, I mean, they hire, they, you know, they fired a guy, they hired the interim coach, which is kind of the Pat Hayden special. I get it, but it just seems like <laughs> he can go, you know, he'll just go along and it'll be fine. And they're not too worried about being overly competitive. And then when they are good, you know, fans show up and they and they make their money anyway. I mean, think about it. Uh, they went to they went to yeah. the playoffs in like Elsinore a few years back, and USC uh, fair, fans cared so much, they showed up and they read about it. And you know what I mean? It's like they didn't even have to invest for that to happen because they just made the playoffs. They made the the tournament yeah. or whatever. And USC fans cared like they were national championship contenders. You know? Okay. So there's kind of that part of it too, where I just feel like USC fans are so anxious to, to jump into something. Maybe the university yeah. doesn't have to invest in those kinds of sports. Right? All right, let's move on. Okay, we're approaching two hours here. Uh, we haven't gone well over two hours. I'm blown away. I really am. USC rocks as our next question, and he puts a little cue before it, which I love. Question: Juju and Darius were great receivers, but neither were particularly explosive game-breaking players last year. With the exception of Adore here and there, our offense wasn't as explosive as it was Dink, Dunk, and Darnold. My question is, given the latest influx of fast and talented wide receivers from last cycle's recruiting class, do you see this year's offense being more explosive than last year, i.e. big plays? And who will be the main receivers or players that make it so explosive? Okay, I think this is a good question, and I think that is a great possibility. Deontay Burnett is actually, I think, a bit of a game-breaker, and we saw that in the Rose Bowl. Um, the, the nature of his catches are usually downfield, um, you know, they're at least first down, and so I could see him even maybe in a different role where he, he will catch more passes, maybe uh, more screens and, and quick slants and things like that. Um, he's still a, a very fast player and someone that I would expect to see catching of the 30, 40, 50-yard variety. After him, I'm not sure yet. Velas Jones had a wonderful first week of spring practice. And we have to qualify that because we've seen that before from different people and it didn't translate into a lot in the fall on Saturdays. But it might. It, I mean, we've also seen that and it went the other way and they became his breakout player. Um, he looks like the fastest player on the team to me. I don't know that he is. He's one of for sure. But he he, play, he practices like he's the fastest. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he would do. Uh, he redshirted last year. He didn't even play. So he might not start, but I expect him to get on the field. 
and he could be a downfield threat. After him, I really don't know. I don't know that there will be a lot of explosion. He mentioned Joshua Maturbebe as one of the fastest players. Now, Maturbebe's been out. He's supposed to come back after spring break. But even before that, I didn't see him that way. Maybe he is that guy. Maybe, you know, maybe I missed it. Um, he's athletic for sure, but I didn't see him being particularly a burner. So, I, you wonder then. Um, beyond that, Trevon Signey, he's pretty fast, but he's been injured. He's out for spring. Um, I don't know that, he, that he, he'll come back this year. Hell can believe that he would. But he had the double hip surgery, and I wouldn't be surprised if he missed the entire year because of that. I think he'll be cutting it close by the time he's fully healthy and when he'd be available, you know, when he'd be useful to play and what time of the year it would be in the season. He's already redshirted, so maybe even if it's late October, they'll play him anyway. Uh, but obviously, he could, he would get a medical hardship if he were to miss the whole year because of the hips. So, there are a couple people there. Am I missing anybody? Do you, do you see someone that you think, I mean, Keyshawn Young, if he moved to receiver, maybe he's a guy that could bring some explosion to the offense? Well, I have a different answer. So. I have one. I actually had one more, but uh, maybe that's where you're going to go. Go ahead and give give me yours. Okay, well, I just I don't see the offense being more explosive um, because I think of USC's offense, and we're talking about the receiver position. Obviously, I think Ronald Jones is an explosive runner or whatever else. But think of how USC receivers operate throughout history. I mean, or recent history, I should say. They, they have big receivers on the outside, big, tall receivers on the outside, and guys that are fast, but not necessarily freakishly fast. It's not too common that you see the outside receivers at USC be unusually fast, faster than a 4 or 5 something. Marquise Lee comes to mind. Really outside of that, not not too many guys. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't expect that to change because I think that unless you get like the best receiver in the country is just such a freak athletically that can be 6'3 and run a 4'3 something, you just don't get those guys. They just pretty much don't exist. So I look to the slot, which is kind of that position where you see that speed. You mentioned Jones, Devon Sidney. You know, that's usually where you see the speed. Josh Hubert's baby is interesting to me because if he is as fast as Jones said, you know, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe they do have that freakish speed guy. I'm not sure. But when I looked at the slot, I see a bunch of fast guys, but I always see a bunch of fast guys in the slot at USC. You know, they they always have some guy like that. I feel like, you know, when they come in as a freshman, people look to them to, to, you know, be so fast and, and, you know, kind of kill the deep threat or whatever else and help USC in that area. I think it's, it's kind of a phenomenon where receivers come in we expect them to be way faster way more freakish than they are and then as time develops we kind of just realize you know, what they are even though they're great players you know what i mean darius rogers wasn't as fast as everybody thought he was juju smith schuster maybe was maybe wasn't i just think it's a phenomenon when 
whenever they get a five-star or four-star receiver. Look at that guy's film in high school. He's right. He's killing everybody on the deep ball. That's not going to happen necessarily in college. Maybe they are more explosive. Obviously, you mentioned Davis Jones had a great first week. He's very fast. They have these fast guys, but I just don't, you know, envision this big change in their offense where it's much more down. I don't see it happening. I think they would have mm-hmm. to change the type of receivers they get, and I don't think they should. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, what I was going to add on was that I look at Daniel Imaturbebe as a very explosive tight end. And so I think that he will add a dimension of, of explosion from that position. It's not the same as a receiver, but I think he'll be a handful for whoever's trying to defend him. And I think that he'll probably be hurting people downfield as well. And we haven't seen that from the tight end position at USC since Fred Davis. I mean, Bryce Dixon was going to do it, I, I'm assuming, but it didn't, it didn't happen. <laughs> so I think Daniel Mutrebebe will, uh, you know, he, he should be included as well. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, person to include. I didn't even think of that. I think that's, that's smart, uh, he, you know, having a tight end like that definitely help you because it's like having an extra receiver on there. All of a sudden they're playing you know, with three or four receivers, right? Instead of two. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's a great point. Uh, did we cover everything? Yes. I think we did. Yeah. yeah okay. We're, good. we're moving on to bolster B7 then. Uh, another friend of the show. Everybody's a friend of the show. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I'm going to let you take this one out of Maya because uh, I feel like you are going to know this one really well. We're the best athletes. I don't know if I do. Uh, you do. You okay. do. You're, you've been playing basketball since you were in grade school. You know these things. <laughs> Whatever. Who are okay. the best athletes on offense and defense? All right. Well, USC's loaded with athletes. I mean, they're always the most athletic team in the Pac-12, and I think one of the top few athletic teams in the entire country. So if we're talking about the best athletes from that roster, right? I mean, I could, I could include – probably 30 to 40 people in terms of like being a great athlete. But if I'm just trying to cherry pick the very best from USC, it doesn't mean if I don't pick you that you're not a great athlete. Then I would begin with Jack Jones. Um, I'd go with Velas Jones. I would go with Trevon Sigme. Uh I would go with Isaiah Langley. Hmm. Rojo. Well, so I was thinking about this before I answered it, and I'm looking for versatility. Okay. Someone, I mean, there are different ways that you can measure it. By by some measurements, Rojo could be number one. I mean, he he probably would, or he maybe he would beat everybody in the hundred on this team. I don't know. But if I'm talking about like doing multiple things, different types of movements, I would I would include Dominic Davis before Rojo. So that that's my list right there. Um what about you? I feel like there are different ways that you can answer this. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have put Rojo on there. 
Uh, definitely. Um, I mean, you could put Sam Darnold on this. You know, I mean, yeah. there aren't many quarterbacks that can move like him. But if we're just talking like not throwing the ball, just their their individual movement in a vacuum, then you know he wouldn't be on there. Go ahead. I mean, what about what? What is our definition of athlete too? Because then I also think of uh, like we haven't seen very much of him. Uh, I don't know how good he is at all these different things but when I when I think of an athlete I mean just looking at Wally Tiku right like yeah I mean if I'm picking like street, if I'm drafting for the decathlon that's what I was doing I got you I'm gonna name too many I can't even do this because I'm, I'm looking at the roster right now and I could just I like want to name yeah like I, I already said that position, so, so again me. here I, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to uh, narrow it a little bit if you were picking for the decathlon with what you know about these guys, I mean, we we haven't seen them do these events. Yeah. Okay. I That's agree. A, I'm going to take Rojo. A serious, it's an intense athletic endeavor. Okay, Rojo. I'm uh-huh. going to take Phyllis uh, Jones, which who you said. Uh-huh. Uh, can I take Daniel Imorto Bebe? Is that weird? If you uh, for the decathlon? I mean, okay. Isn't that that's di- it's different events, right? A bunch of different events. That's what the decathlon. Yeah. Is, right. Okay. I I feel like he is like well rounded. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I see Jackie Jones, who you mentioned. Uh, there's a couple guys that aren't even playing. That I, I mean, like you said, Dom Davis. I think Keely Ross would be a guy, right? I mean, he's like a freak. Yeah, I thought right? of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I might have named everybody already. Uh, okay. There's a lot of dudes. There's a lot of dudes. Yeah, I mean, I'm also thinking people that can play multiple positions or play both ways. Um, another guy that would probably be in my honorable mention would be John K. Burnett. Okay. I think he's faster than maybe he's given credit for. Ask Penn State. Anyway, okay, let's move on. I will. Um, okay. Uh, Darren T., another friend of the show. Will Ross see meaningful playing time at safety this year? I'm going to take this one to start because I feel like I've given you two in a row. Um, Go. I'm going to say no because it's just the safe bet for me. There's nothing else going on in my thought process. I mean, I would. I think he, he should or they should find a way to play him in some way because I think he's a good athlete. But I just think when a guy's been in the program, uh, you know, coaching change hasn't been playing. I just don't see that anymore for him. So I'm going to go with Yeah. I I mean, I guess it depends on how you define meaningful. I, I think I understand it to mean um, he'll be in the rotation. And I think he'll be the odd man out. I think that it'll He'll need an injury to get into that rotation. I don't think he's far, though, right now. I mean, he's going to have more competition in the fall. But I think right now, he's probably right outside the rotation. And therefore, he could get in it. But I don't know that he'll just uh, earn his way up to it you know, with, without something happening in front of him. Yep, All right. 
Adam, that's our final question. I don't know if you knew that because there's a bunch of uh, posts underneath it, but they're just fighting about the uh, Coliseum. It's very yeah, they are. To argue about. So that's it for our show, I guess, then, right? That's it. Yeah, I, I guess that's all we're going to give them. Yeah, I know. Uh, gosh, really a short one this week, Adam. we got to work on that. we gotta got to find a way to make these things you know, a little bit longer and uh, go a little bit more, give you guys some more content. In depth. Yeah, in depth. Yeah. Even more in depth. Uh, maybe six shows a week, maybe one every day. Um, <laughs> okay. All right, I'll end it, I guess, now, since uh, we should. So uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. As always, we really appreciate you all listening to the Trojansports.com podcast. We appreciate you subscribing just as much, even more, I'll say, because it's... Uh, yeah, I like that live. more. So... Um, Subscribe if you don't. Uh, if you do, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Um, that's it for our show. I hope well, you enjoyed it. Oh, go ahead. Adam. I think it's important to know that it's important to subscribe because without subscribing, we don't have a podcast. So we uh, we definitely need that. Uh, it, it, can, it helps keep the podcast afloat and the site as well. And it puts food in uh, my baby's mouth. If for, no, if for no other reason. Bringing the child into it. I like it. Adam has a very young child. Remember that, everybody. I do. Sign up. You, I, you might have heard him in the background. I have a small dog and a cute cat that I need to feed as well. So if you're not into <laughs> babies and you're into animals, sign up. I don't like where this is going. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not going to end well. Uh, can I end it now, though? Yeah. Yeah, we're good. Thank you so much okay. again. Really appreciate all of you guys. Adam, for Adam Maya, I'm Chris Swanson. Tune in next week. Subscribe every day. Stay on our message board. We love you. Take care. Peace. See you next time. All right. Bye.